podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Hello, I am indeed Helen Murray and this is the Inside Try Show. I'm so excited to be doing this podcast. I am ridiculously passionate about triathlon and I also absolutely love talking to people which means that I'm going to be going big on the interview so hopefully you're going to really enjoy that. I will be bringing you interviews with different people they are going to be mainly from triathlon but I will dip into other endurance sports as well because I do think that there's just so many inspirational people and inspirational stories out there that we can all learn from. So yeah, it's going to be, it's almost like the start of a bit of a crazy adventure. Um, and I'm really excited that you're with me from the very outset. So thank you very much for that. So my guest this week is Australia's Sarah Crowley. Now be honest, how good are you at switching off? I must admit, I'm absolutely rubbish. Um, my head is often whirring, especially at the moment. There seems to be so much going on trying to start a new podcast. So yeah, I am not very good at all at switching off. And after years of working in the corporate world, Sarah Crowley has also had to learn the art of relaxation and letting things go in order to excel as a professional triathlete. But you might know it has paid off. And this year she finished third at the Ironman 2019 World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. That was actually the second time in recent years that she has finished third. And in this interview that you're going to hear shortly, she talks in detail about her race in Kona. And also she goes into detail about a really fascinating battle that she had with Great Britain's Lucy Charles Barkley in the closing stages. So you're actually going to hear some really useful thoughts about when to pass during a race. So I don't know, do you, have, you, have you sort of been in that situation whereby you can see the person ahead and you're getting closer to them and then you get really near them and you're thinking, oh, when do I go? Or do I push on when I go past them? Anyway, she goes into exactly what that bit was like because she paid the price for pushing too hard when she initially made the pass because Lucy then went back to finish ahead of her in second place. She also talks about the communication that goes on between athletes during a race and I thought that was really interesting because if you're not a pro you don't really exactly know what goes on in their race. So enjoy this is this week's interview with Sarah Crowley. Yeah, I'm really good. I've had a pretty hectic few weeks, so I'm on a rest day, which is uh, much needed and few and far between. But um, yeah, I haven't really been out of bed all day, which is something new for me and something different, but I'm loving it. So did did you even set an alarm? No, no. So what we do is we do this thing called a horse day where we box ourselves like racehorse and we don't get out of bed. So I've pretty much just been up, I don't think I got up at 2 p.m. I mean, I was up a bit watching television, but I didn't get out of bed until 2 p.m., which is absolutely mortifying, I'm sure, for most people. But for me, it was like an actual 
it's a relief. I don't sleep in much, so um, I'm normally a 5 a.m. sort of person, so I just made sure I, yeah, I just stayed in bed all day and then uh, slowly got up and um, <laughs> went to the supermarket for one little thing and then I was back back in bed watching television by the afternoon. So I really, uh, it's been great for me. And how, awesome. how often do you have the horse days? Not very often. Um, I would probably say this is probably probably the second time this year. Sometimes on rest days we still have a little swim or there's always appointments or things. So just before the Noosa try last week I had a day off, but there was a lot of travel up to Noosa and hair appointments and things like that. So it's good just to have a recharge. I actually recommend it. Maybe – it's good even if you just work too hard to have just a mental health day. Really, a, du- <laughs> a duvet day. <laughs> it must so it must be quite, in a way, quite strange for you. Given given that you know when you used to do your sort of eighty hour, seventy, eighty hour week um, job plus training, and I bet you didn't watch any TV at all. No. So I think it's been a gradual process to being used to like on a scale of one to ten, and ten was working. Um, now I guess with training we're still ten, but in terms of the relaxation, uh, to get to one it takes a bit of time, and yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> is it is it taking a bit of mental work as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, you have to stop caring about things too much and just let things go. It's important though because the relaxation, I discovered a lot this year actually because I went to altitude with just one training partner for my main block for my training for Kona this year and, and it was, we may sort of set a bit of a rule that we wouldn't really do too much stuff with, you know, involve, involving other groups or driving or just being interrupted and we just had a really relaxing time, lots of hard training but it was no distraction and I think you get so used to filling your time with with noise so yeah it's probably a learnt thing this year I've gotten a lot better at it and how do you reckon that's actually helped you as a as an athlete oh I'm more chilled out I think like you know I think you can put things in perspective when I go to training it's about the training and my training and getting focused on what I need to do yeah. it helps you eliminate the noise amongst the training group as well like so you can just focus on your what's required for you and if other people are doing other stuff then you just don't worry about it so much whereas I think you if you're too highly strong, you sort of involve yourself in, in everything that's going on. And yeah, so it is a good skill. I mean, not always possible for everyone with, I'm sure, lots of busy jobs, but it's definitely important to take the time to actually have some relaxation and step away from things mentally. It's really important. That, oh, seriously, though, that must have been such, like, would you say you were a very highly strong person? Oh, well, I wouldn't say highly strong. I'm just very detailed, so I think a lot about everything. Um, yeah, always always thinking of contingencies and just everything. So I just need a day like this just to stop, <laughs> stop writing lists, stop ticking things off. I mean, it's a good process. That stuff helps me, of course, to stay stre- with re- reduce stress. Like, obviously, having lists and everything is great, but to have one day where you just don't do it, don't do anything, just relax bliss important Mm. (laughs) bliss let's go back to Kona how were you feeling Uh, landing in Kona this year different actually this year I felt a lot more relaxed about it I think I knew we'd done it's funny you know because we left training and I I just knew that I was 
carrying something. I just felt like I was carrying something very special. That's weird, but when we flew out of Utah, I'm just like, I knew I was in good nick, and I didn't. I'm like, oh, I just got to make sure I get to Kona because we'd done so much good work, and I just felt like I was in, I was in such good shape. And when you know that, you know you're gonna ha- you, you're very relaxed because you've done all the work. So. For me, once I left Utah and we, we raced Santa Cruz and it was very controlled and I, I just had it sorted and you just know. So really for me, I had to just complete a little bit of training in Australia, which wasn't easy, but it was still just the back end of the training block. The work had really been done. And so when I arrived, instead of being like a deer in headlights, which is the classic Kona week kind of scenario for a lot of athletes, I, I guess I've been there. It's my fourth time, so I'd expect myself to be a little bit more used to it, but I just feel like I had a job to be done and, and I knew as soon as I got out on my bike on the Queen K, I was just really happy to be there and felt comfortable being there um, and did what I needed to do. I stopped looking around as much. I mean, people just typically ride around looking at everyone that's there. I just knew I had a job to do. So right from the start, I knew I was in good good form. And then also during the week, we sort of we managed the expectations with all the commitments really well. So um I did a lot more than normal, but the way we stay in a place where I'm sort of a little isolated and I don't see what's going on so much, yet we're still quite close to the event. So, um, yeah, I had a really relaxing week leading in. Um, confidence boost at the Hola Ala Swim. Yeah. Really- what was that bit like? Were you sort of pinching yourself? Well, it was kind of weird because at the start, I started right next to Alistair and I was like, oh, this is not going to be safe for me. And <laughs> within like a second, I was like in a bit of a washing machine and I was getting hit by like all sorts of, I don't know, probably just things, arms, legs, part of body parts. I was just getting smashed. And then I think though what it did was pull me through a little bit and sort of when you're in that group, they're moving fast and you're swimming fast. And, and by, the, by the end of the wash, some of the people that went out really hard dropped back and, and then you're finally sort of settled in and – um, I think it put me just in a really good position. So in the past, I've been scared of that because my swim was so weak that I'd actually be kicked out the back of that group, but I wasn't. I just got, I just had to put up with it until some people slowed down. So yeah, I guess after that, I just kept moving forward and people just kept sort of dropping back and I had no idea what was really going on. It's, there's so many people, you know. Um, and then towards the end, you could start to see like yellow people on canoes and stuff. And then I realized, I could just pick out people like that you sort of know. And I'm like, what? And then uh, when we got onto the shore, my husband and my coach were like, you could just see these because I got these little, I don't know, we call them egg beater arms. They're like little sticks with straight arms and there's these men. And then I have this little blue person in my little suit swimming through these big men. And I was like, I got out and I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, that was a real confidence boost. I mean, I really did go – I think it proved to me I could swim a lot harder than I thought I could in open water as well. Mm. Sometimes maybe you get frightened that you'll have that blow up at sort of three or 400 metres, which I didn't get. So the obviously training that we've been putting in was definitely enough to carry me through. So, yeah, it was good. It was a good confidence boost. That, oh, 49 minutes is uh, pretty good going. And, and you've, you've said that for a long time you were always told you can't swim. So I guess, like, it's been a massive mental shift. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, I I guess we'll go more into Kona, but even this weekend at Noosa, there was a really rough ocean. and 
I didn't really, I tripped over at the start and I also stopped in one of the waves, hit me in the face because I thought there was a sandbar and I could jump off the sandbar, and, but I just went down and my legs didn't and I stopped. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And <laughs> and, then, I'm, and I'm not a bad open water. So like in terms of ins and outs, I'm not terrible. But it just was a bad start. And I, and I was off the back of the group, but I had the confidence now to swim back into the main group. So I think that's definitely a complete change. And there's so many times things can happen and they can't always be a fluke that you're actually making it into those groups. Like it's first few times I was like, oh, this is just a coincidence. And then I'd have a bad swim and it reaffirm, oh, no, you're still a bad swimmer. But now more and more times that even when you have bad things go wrong and you still make it in the main group, then you know you've sort of you've locked you've locked it in. Yeah. So I guess now we still need to move forward though because Lucy was a long way out the front in the actual swim at Kona. But, yeah, it's um it's still very positive. It's, yeah, I think it's, it was, it's amazing, and it would be. I'd, I'd love to pick at that a tiny bit more, but yeah, let's go back to Kona and mm. actual race day. Did it sort of did it pan out to your race plan? It was an interesting morning. I mean, when we got in the water, it was quite obvious there was going to be um, a headwind on the way back in the swim and on the bike, uh, on the way out on the bike. So normally, what happens is at the first two when you turn at the two boats and you come back in, it's kind of a tail sort of sweep home. But this year it was choppy on the way home, which meant I think that's the reason why Lucy got such a big lead is because she was able to continue swimming into that chop and, and she's such a talented swimmer that it, it really suited her. Whereas for us normally we wouldn't, the gap would have been formed quite early in the swim and then everyone kind of takes advantage of the tail sweep and the gap doesn't grow so bad. So I think that was kind of one thing that happened. And also, very, very much so, right at the very start, I, um, I lined up a little on the left just to stay away from everyone. And I think I should have taken the Alistair Brownlee approach and got right next to Lucy because she was on the far right and I was kind of on the far left. And if there's any overhead footage, which I think there, I've seen as a person taking a massive right, <laughs> right angle sprint <laughs> because I just could see them underwater just going and I could not get across. Um and I knew better than to start where I did. I was trying to start with Lauren, but in, with about 20 seconds before the start, uh, Danny and Lauren shifted over to Lucy. Mm. And so I was kind of isolated on the left. So, I mean, this is another example of despite in the past, I would have been out the back. But despite that change, I still got into the main group. But it would have been better if I was right there because perhaps then it would have split that main group into two groups and then maybe the the race may have been different. Do you think um, that was um, tactic, Sarah, that they moved just before just before it started? I think it was led by Danny. She moved across and then uh, Lauren went with her. And I just didn't have time to move because I was a bit further to the left. Yeah. So I'm, I was thought I was in quite a good position with Lauren, but... Um, yeah, well, I didn't actually see then where Lauren had gone, so I was like a bit confused. I just committed to where I was. Um, it was definitely tactical, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then coming out the water and then onto the bike, were you working quite a bit with Annie, Annie Haug? Yeah. So to get started, it was really high intensity for that first section, as it always is, but probably more so this year. So. Because we came out in quite a large group, Annie and I um, and Jocelyn, we all got out ahead through transition 
sort of quicker than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so we fully put on the gas uh, in that first section up until we got back onto the Queen K. And then it settled a little bit more and Jocelyn went to the front and then I took a turn and it was very shared. And like, um, do, you, do you communicate that? Are you sort of talking, saying, look, there's three of us, we've, you know, we've got a little break, come on, we need to work together? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I really like Annie, but I did say to Jocelyn, we've got to get rid of Annie now. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, and also, you know, if there's an element of bracing for, for Danny to come through and it was strange because I guess we should have kind of known that once she didn't get come through the group at uh, um, at Waikoloa that maybe she wasn't on for the day because she was right there in the swim when we all got out so yeah it was kind of um, it was kind of weird that that wasn't happening and we sort of expecting it so there's a little bit of conservation of energy going on by everyone in the anticipation that Danny would ride through um, but yeah, I guess Jocelyn had some issues maybe at Waikoloa and then Annie just took the race by the horns actually, like sort of ex- didn't expect it at all, but she rode almost from there to the top of Javi. Um, and then I went on the front down and then at that point when we got to the bottom back at Kauai High from the bottom of Harvey, um, uh, Daniela Blymo with... Um, Laura Phillip had re- had joined our group, so they'd ridden through. Yep. Uh, and Carrie Lester then went to the front for a small section, and then we went through an aid station at Kauai High, just out of Kauai High. And Blymill took a big turn to, to try and take, I think, to try and drop the group a little bit. So I jumped past Carrie and I said, "Carrie, if you want to make top ten, you got to go now," because she almost missed it, and that almost blew the group apart. Also, the the, the effort by Blymill. Yeah. So things we can't see what's going on behind, but apparently people were stringing out like 200 meters. Um, but you have no idea this is happening. So maybe if we knew that, we could. Because I think someone got maybe caught behind Imogen, and she was probably unaware. But those late efforts like that can really in the last, that's usually where the actual breaks happen in these races, like in the 60k to go, because that's when people are starting to hurt. Um. But then everyone just stayed together then for the rest of the ride. Um, there was really it was really quite uneventful after that. I think then we just got off and I think uh, I was probably first out of transition of the group. Um, I know that Annie had a her gear was so we had the volunteers actually hold our gear for mm. us and hand it to us. But Annie was looking on her peg and the, she'd run into transition looking for it. Really. But a lady was holding it, so she had to run back. Yeah, it was pretty awful. Oh, no. I mean, it's critical because you set the tone for the for the whole race once you're running out of transition. So for her, it was – imagine how fast her, run t- her actual race made. It was oh. probably 30, 40 seconds. I don't yeah. know. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And yeah. when, you, when you do get back into transition, like are you aware right then when you get off the bike what the gap is ahead to Lucy? Um, No. Not really. That's the that's the thing. It's like you get told on the bike. I had a rough idea because people hold these boards up. There's like a person out on the course on a motorbike mm. who does a time check. But you can't. You don't know how much of it to trust because you don't know if they're taking it from like a timed mat because we cross a few of those, or actually from them standing on the side of the road and timing the gap. So you don't know how up to date it is. And how realistic it is. It's always hard, unless you see your coach, to believe a time gap. 
I mean, they're Ironman officials, so they're probably right. But then I don't remember seeing one from a little bit out of town, maybe at the airport, until we were in transition. So we had no real idea until we came out of transition and then there's about a million people shouting at you with the time gap. And so was Cam, okay. your coach Cam, was he there as well shouting at you? Was he was he amongst the shouters? Well, yeah, I didn't even see him though until we went past near our units. So he'd sort of parked himself up there with my husband. So I didn't really know. Um, there were some people from Utah that I trained with that were shouting the time gap and the Canyon guys were shouting the time gap. So I could believe a few people. Um <laughs> Zori is really hard to know because, you know, there's a big difference between, say, for example, at Roth, the time difference was moving a lot between myself and uh, Lucy. And so sometimes you'd hear three minutes and then other people would say five. Now, that's a massive difference. Three minutes is one hectic hard 400 <laughs> and a bit more. Like a 600, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 like, and then, like, yeah, five minutes is like uh, you. You could. It's almost like they could shut it down. So it's like there's a big difference in that, in that gap. So, look, I generally just got off, um, concentrate on eating and drinking. Like, uh, actually, this year did something a little different. Had a drink in my bag because there's not really much fluid between the the aid station, the first and the, the first aid station. So I carried a bottle with me for like a K and a half. But I just wanted to make sure I drank a liter. Um so I had food, I just ate and drank, ate and drank and just worried about my actual the feel of my pacing instead of worrying about what was going on around me. And Annie came past me probably I can't even remember where it happened. Maybe it was only up on Kilkenny. I just said, look, that was a fair ride because it really was. Yeah. Um, and all the best sort of thing. And she kept running really quickly and I'm just like, well, I can't, I'm not going to, I'm not prepared to go any faster than this because I've set a little rule of like not f- not five seconds faster than my predicted average and, yeah. you know, just to be safe. And so I wasn't going to blow that in the first hour. I thought, well, if she's going to go that fast, then she's just running faster. So it's, you know, it's up to her to, to control her race. So I just concentrated on what I needed to and um yeah and then I just made sure I ate and drank and I mean a lot of people spend a lot of expel a lot of energy more than they need to on that bottom section along Palani um uh, sorry along uh Ali Cove or Ali Drive because it's uh just got full of people and there's water and it's kind of shaded and it's it's got a nice vibe and uh you're not isolated there's people everywhere so I think a lot of people kind of go a bit too quick along there so I just focused on not doing that and holding a similar average and just staying really relaxed. And, um, yeah, I was just having – actually having a good time and I wasn't really worried about – I mean, you have people shouting at you the sort of unrealistic things and they don't know that that's what they're doing, but it you have to be able to block that stuff out and not respond to it, you know. Oh, she's just of, there. stuff? It's like she's just there or you're ahead, you've got – you know, that sort of stuff. You've yeah. got to ignore those comments because they distract you from your process and that's the only thing you can control. So – it's actually kind of difficult when someone says, oh, they're just there, and you're like, uh, no, I don't think I'll just go run up to them. You know, you could for 10Ks, but it's not. So, you know, I really I just settled in, and I didn't ever expect to see Lucy. I heard a lot of comments about Lucy's form not being, you know, maybe looking as comfortable or, you know, she's tiring and those kind of comments, but I, I really didn't pay into it too much because I know people say that stuff and that, 
you know, like I said, there's a difference between three minutes and five minutes. So, but then I started to see the time chipping away quite rapidly. And once I got out onto the, um, back out onto the Queen K, I was kind of feeling really good and it was I knew it was sort of hot, so I had a feeling maybe if there was a time if it was if it was gonna happen and some I could just hold this pace, it's still I knew it was gonna be a fast run. So yep. I figured I'd just, just keep doing what I'm doing, keep eating, drinking, keeping yourself cool. Um I had a weird moment though. I did throw water in my eyes and I wear contact lenses and <laughs> the water went inside the contact lenses and it's unbelievable the level of fatigue. So when you can't see and you're going through what I was going through on the Queen K, it's absolutely – it was a bit frightening how – where you're pushing your body because it's kind of like you went inside yourself to realise how fatigued you actually were. So when it went in, you were you a bit like what – I don't know. It's hard to say. It's like you lose your sense of balance and you're so fatigued that it feels overwhelming. Like it was – um. It was super weird, like almost to the point of if I had to run another five feet, I would have stopped. Like I couldn't see and I was so fatigued. Uh, I think you just block it out somehow. <laughs> but had you like had you, had you realised what it was or were you having almost like a, a sort of out-of-body experience? Oh, no, I had done it before. I knew exactly <laughs> what it was. So I knew if it blinked a few times, like it would get out. But <laughs> it was so really, really crazy. It was actually quite frightening. Like it, <laughs> I don't recommend losing your eyesight <laughs> at like 25Ks into the Hawaiian Ironman on the Queen K. <laughs> I just do not don't recommend that. Um, that is not what you want. So what, once you had like cleared the eye again, at, at what point then did you... You didn't like, slow me down. That's good. And and then when did, uh, you, when did you see Lucy ahead of you? Well, you know, I didn't really see her at all until I got into the turnaround. I was really surprised as I ran... So every year you sort of see people coming out of the energy lab and you're like, oh, darn, they're so far ahead. And <laughs> Oh, wow, lucky them, they get to finish soon. Um, but, <laughs> but this year I didn't see her until I still turned right and I still didn't see her and I just kept running along the road and I still didn't see her. And then I could see the turnaround and I could see people coming back towards me. I'm like, are you kidding? I can actually see the turnaround and see Lucy at the same time. I'm like, oh, this is actually on. Um as I ran past, Annie's like, you can do it too, kind of thing. And I was like, what? She um, actually said that. Something like that. I mean, I could be lying, but it was kind of along those lines. It motivated me. I think she had cheered me on a little. Like, So I sort of thought, well, okay. And then, I just, like I said, though, you've got to stay within yourself and keep doing what you're doing. And, um, yeah, so I just kept moving. And then it was oddly enough, by the time I got to back to the top of the Queen K, I could see the motorbike for Lucy. So it would have only had to have been a few hundred metres perhaps when I, when I actually saw her at the turnaround in the energy lab. Um, but then I just probably did what I wouldn't think that you should do. So if it was a running race, I wouldn't have had the same approach. Um, but basically I just kind of – well, I don't think I ran any slower, but I felt like I ran up on her too quickly, um, whereas I – in hindsight, I had a long time to do that. Like, there's still 10Ks to go. So it wasn't like I had to necessarily run hard to catch mm-hmm. her. So, you know, because she was also slowing. So I kind of – it was a headwind too along the Queen K. So I could have probably held back a little bit and just chilled for a while and gathered a bit more energy. But you you get drawn to 
someone when you're chasing, I think. Like it's a totally kind of it just draws you to them. So yeah, and then at thirty five Ks it's kind of a dip in the road. Oh, I'm trying to think where it is. It's um the hill before you head up to Palani Hill. Um there's like a dip in the in the road and I reached into my waist to find another gel and I didn't have one and I was like, Oh dear. Uh oops. And then <laughs> and so I think I had some like caffeine in my but I had that and then you know, by the next aid station I think was it must have then yeah, so then by then I caught Lucy was on the end of an aid station when I was just entering it. And I have a feeling that don't quote me on this and I don't remember what happened, but I think I went through that way too quickly. So that's probably my opportunity there was to get the energy I kind of needed. But once again, you sort of just drawn – your focus has stopped from what you should be doing, which is eating and drinking, to, holy crap, that's second place at the Hawaiian Ironman and I can catch them. So I I did drink at that aid station, but I know there was less people focused on our side of the road because it's one of the very early aid stations. So a lot of the focus was on the other side for the age group athletes that had just – sort of started their section on the Queen K. So I'm like just running through it and missing quite a bit of like Coke and, and all these sort of things. And then before I knew it, I was like right up on her and I just passed her. I didn't even think, which is not how you pass. Um, and it's so easy for people to say, oh, this is how you pass in an Ironman. I'm like, but I promise anyone probably wouldn't follow any set rule at 38 Ks into the Hawaiian Ironman on a hot day, like you're just going to do what your body's capable of and at the time and that's kind of what I did. My my legs were still running so I wasn't going to say slow down or speed up. They just I just let them run and when I passed, I sort of thought I need to surge, surge and my body just didn't do it. It's like I should be surging. Nah, don't surge, you'll blow up. Oh, I should be surging. Nah, no surge <laughs> and it, it just didn't happen like um, as I would normally do definitely in a race so the pass wasn't successful and I mean I think I got a photo and it did go out to quite a way like there's a photo where it could be up to 100 meters um or maybe more and I've gone straight to the next pro aid station where I had Red Bull and I had drunk about you know a couple hundred mils of that and threw the rest over myself which is scolding and then went to the next age station and that's when the legs just dropped and I was basically pinned to the ground. I sort of shuffled for a little bit, got food in, got energy in and then ran down the hill as if it was almost fine. So the, it was interesting looking at my splits after the race when everything was almost on average and there's one kilometre, the one I needed, was where I just had a genuine bad patch in a marathon, which – would have been lovely if that was on my way out of the energy lab where there's a little hill or any other point up Polani on the way out to the Queen K or wherever. But it just happened to happen kind of when you're under a bit of pressure, which was a little disappointing at the time for me because you obviously train not to have to do that. But then you really never know what to expect under that pressure at that point in a, in a big race. And to Lucy's credit, she just, I don't know what she did. She just went, she screamed, actually, apparently. I didn't see it. Really? What? And then she, she screamed? She put out a loud scream and her arm flew up in the air. I don't want to make Lucy, like, it's a very dramatic-looking scene, but I don't know because I never saw it, but that's what I heard from uh, some of my friends that were there. 
And it's like she was shocking herself into concentrating. And the next minute she just went up the hill and, you know, you can't respond because you're going through a patch. I'm just like, I just need sugar. I just need sugar and you just have to let it go. You can't, you can't really, there's nothing you can do. There's no lifting because I was lucky just to have legs turning, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, it was kind of just a, a, a kind of a weird situation, I think. Um, and I guess you obviously, hadn't played through that one in your mind before before the race. Never, actually. Yeah, you don't expect to have to do those things in an Ironman either. Um, usually when someone hits the wall and slows down, I guess that's their day gone. But I guess for Lucy, she did have quite a big gap. So when Annie passed her, she had quite a bit of time to recover before I passed her. So equally, it would have been interesting had I passed her sooner. Maybe then she would have slowed up after I'd passed her. I don't know, but some of it's psychological, right? Like you've got, you've just been passed for first, and then you're probably a bit down about that. So maybe she's recovered a little bit and running a bit slower. So she had that in her. Whereas for me, I was pretty spent chasing all day. Uh, there was definitely not much more at that point. Had there not been a hill, it would have been different too because obviously we're running up the famous hill before you get down Polani. Um, so perhaps if it hadn't happened right there, it might have been different too. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. But I had to back it up again with another foot race on the weekend. Oh, my gosh, I got sprinted out sprinted. Got that was it. just unfair. <laughs> <laughs> that is not fair. But when, so when so, so when you crossed the line in Kona were you gutted that you had crossed in third or were you absolutely thrilled that you actually had carried you know had been able to hold on to third and like you didn't sort of bonk any further well I was disappointed not to be second because I know I could have got second and I was right there and so that's frustrating but also it's quite positive because everyone's now in touch of winning the Hawaiian Ironman like I got off the bike with the eventual winner so it's not out of reach and I think that was more motivating than anything so of course I'm disappointed you're not set of course it's you know second place it's bigger but you know and you can't deny that um but of in, in the same sentence it's, it's almost equally as exciting to know that if we just keep doing what we're doing the championship is right there. Uh, things just have to go a little bit more your way and have to make some more calculated decisions, I think, for some of the things happening on race day. And also, yeah, I mean, it's it's always good to even just to be on the podium is a privilege. So, yeah, there's, there's good things and there's obviously as an athlete and a high-performance athlete, you always want for more. But I think the good thing is is that it's right there and I think that's – that's quite motivating for me for next year, sure. So motivating, isn't it? That is that is the fuel. <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah, it's just, a, a, yeah, it's good. I mean, everything went the way we wanted to and the things that we've been working on went the way they should have. So it's not like there's anything you could be terribly disappointed about. So it's just the outcome is the outcome. But I'm looking forward to just building on those blocks next year. And, you know, we're not going to do anything different, really. We've because we know we've got the formula. I've had third, sixth, and third. We're right there. There's no point in changing anything dramatically for next year. Um, it's just more of the same and get another year stronger. Um, we'll probably 
try and capitalize a little bit more each year on my run, which I do have, which just hasn't still hasn't quite translated to the to the marathon yet. We just keep working on that each year, and then yeah, we'll chip chip away at it. So, what are you going to be like? You've obviously qualified already for next year, but you're going to have to go and uh, validate. Are you going to validate in Australia? Are you going to validate at Arizona? What What are your plans? Oh, so I can actually say this now, which I'm frightened to say, but I'm going to do Arizona. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we only really decided after Noosa on the weekend. I've recovered really well. So um, so the day after Kona, I was like, yeah, we'll do, let's do Noosa. And my coach was like, what? But I felt pretty good. Like I wasn't sore. Um, started regretting it when we had to do some really high intensity training, which is not fun if you're an Ironman athlete. And I felt like during the time in between Kona and Noosa, I was kind of struggling with two recoveries, one from Kona and then another one from the sort of lactate thresholds, some of the lactate threshold type training we had to do for for Noosa. Now, we didn't totally focus like an ITU athlete because I'm not an ITU athlete. There's no point in tearing myself to pieces trying to be one in the space of three weeks when you're recovering. No. <laughs> but, but we did do some stuff that would simulate that and it really wore me down because we were kind of trying to recover from one and do the other. And I think that high-intensity training is quite fatiguing in itself because I do remember really feeling sort of the the neural drain of ITU when I used to do that, which I don't really get now. So it was a, it was a little bit of I was a half-regretting decision to race Noosa. But then on the day, we had a really good race. So I, I feel like uh, I pulled up really well from that as well. So we're like, well, I'm on the start list. Let's validate. Like, I'm in good form. Um, we've been training pretty hard. We did quite a lot of training still leading into Noosa. So we may as well just keep it going for a few more weeks, and I'm still motivated. I mean, the good thing about doing Arizona for me is I can take a proper off-season, and then uh, next year becomes a little bit more flexible with some potential changes maybe to the season with different races becoming more or less important. So it just gives me a bit more flexibility into what I'll be racing. So yeah, it's kind of good timing. So we're just going to, we're just going to do it. (laughs) And what plans have you got for the off season? Oh, well, yeah, I guess I'll probably just stay home for the first month or so. And then um, it's kind of cute, but we've got some Australian Alps, which are small. Um, (laughs) But our runners go there and, (laughs) <laughs> they're not tall at all they're just enough to get some altitude benefit I guess but it's I think for me it's more just a chance to get away and start my training somewhere without any too much distraction and like similar to what I said about last year I think particularly I don't want to replicate what I did in 17 into 18 where I had a good result and then I trained too hard in the very first few weeks and ended up with a stress fracture and we don't want that again so Figured if I go and put myself in the mountains somewhere quiet without any too many people to race back into form, I can uh, just slowly get myself back into some form. And, yeah, and then I'll probably head over to Adelaide from there because it's nearby and just uh, see my parents for a few weeks after that during the tour down under and then come back up to Brisbane for February, etc. until my coach deems acceptable fit level of fitness for us to start racing again. But I, you know, I'm not sure entirely what will be on the cards for next year with races just yet. We really haven't sat down and, uh, and talked it through just yet. How is the German going, Sarah? Oh, so I parked the German after Germany. So 
I haven't done any, which is bad. Nine. Having <laughs> nine. Um, kinda, kinda, kinda Deutsch. Yeah, kinda Deutsch. No, it's kind of niche you learnt. Yeah, but I haven't learnt any more since uh, then because I just need to focus on Hawaii. So it was another thing to de-stress the brain. Just don't put any pressure on it. So I'm actually kind of excited about doing that. I'd probably take some summer classes here. The university offers proper, uh, proper schooled uh, classes, so I think that might be a good thing to take the mind off triathlon for a little bit and meet some new people and things. So I'll um, definitely get back into it. But it's it was just something that I think was adding a little bit of stress. So as soon as I got to Park City, I because I'd spent time in Switzerland and in a week in Germany after Roth, it was I was kind of overloaded with it. Um, yeah. I just let it absorb for the last sort of 12 weeks. But, yeah. Love that. Love it. And are you going to be back in Germany next summer? I know you're saying you haven't quite decided on your plans, but I know that you also love um, Germany slash German-speaking countries. Are you going to head back that way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I figured we always are there. We're always in sort of St. Moritz in Switzerland in sort of June. So, um, yeah, one of those German large Ironmans that is definitely on the cards. Um, as all, that, That's a fate complete, depends on which race it is, but there will be a German, big German race. It could be Rote, it could be like Hamburg or Frankfurt. Exactly, yeah. It'll just be on uh, how things all pan out. Probably in two or three weeks or whatever, oh my gosh, in, in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't think about it. Ignore it. It'll be fine. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm just all I have to do is turn up to training each day, one day at a time. Make it a process. We're all good. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much. No problem. So good luck to Sarah, who's going to try to validate her Kona slot at Ironman Arizona, which looks like a pretty stacked field. Next time, I head to London to speak to the world's best female age grouper, Ruth Purbrook as she prepares to make her professional debut. People have kind of said to me, oh, you know, like you would have been 17th in Kona. It's like, but like, it's just a different race. I mean, like I had so many people to draft off in the swim. Uh, you know, like I definitely had lots of fast feet that were pulling me through. Um, you know, if I was in the pro field, I would have been like off the back somewhere in the swim, so it would have been very different. Um, so yeah, so I'm under no illusion that it's quite a different race. So I think actually to kind of see how do I line up when I'm racing the same race as them. Because um, yeah, then it shows you where can you improve, what can you work on, what's the next challenge, what's the next step. And yeah, and that's kind of something to work at and, and try and get better. If you've liked what you've heard today, then please share it with a friend. Let Sarah and I know on social media. You can find us both on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to support the show and help me to continue to be able to bring you the best interviews in triathlon, then why not buy me a coffee every so often so I can continue to do what I do? You'll find all the details at patreon.com forward slash inside tri show. A massive thanks to Laura Siddle and Joe Gondal, who have already become patrons of the show, which I'm really grateful for. So thank you both. Laura has signed up to be a Vino buddy. So hopefully we will actually catch up at some point over Vino, a glass of, maybe one or two. And Joe has signed up to be a training buddy, which means that she'll be getting a couple of extra 
patron-only episodes every 12 months to keep her going while she is training. I want to also give a bit of a mention to another friend of the show, Fudge Hats. So my friend Mike learnt to knit to keep his mum company when his dad died and he now hand hit hand hits hand knits amazing bobble hats which are all completely unique and you can even get to choose the design and the colors so you can find him on facebook at fudge hats and you can also find all of the show notes over at insidetryshow.com so thank you very much for listening go and check out the show notes at insidetryshow.com Connect with me on social media at Inside Try Show on both Instagram and Twitter. Get sharing, get liking, do whatever you need to do to help me spread the word about this new podcast. So keep it fun and we'll speak again next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.